Butts. Hey, Danny. How's it going, buddy? You know, it's going good. It's better than last week. We started off with some, you know, some real just vulnerable expression about some stress in the workplace, at least for this guy. And uh, this week, this week was going better as, as far as that goes. So how about you? It's it's good. It's I uh, I put in the what's new Google Doc of Mots. It says stress all caps, <laughs> and uh, you know it, that's the thing. Is last week we actually had a, uh, a listener. I was like, oh, I did not know. I did not think that's how this episode was going to start. But you know, this is real life. It it's complicated, and and some of these events you know spiral out of control. But it's hopefully people can relate to this stuff. And you know, we have this big conference upcoming. Um, this week, by the time that this episode comes out, will be day two of Build, uh, which is my big day, actually. So just a lot of moving pieces. And when that happens, it's like the stress overload. But I will say, Danny, I did something absolutely amazing this week. That blew my mind. I, I can't wait. So I've always wanted to sit down and go on Amazon and make this purchase. And I did it. I bought a robot <laughs> vacuum. I bought Can a robot I just vacuum. say how awesome it is that when you started the sentence with, I've always wanted to, and then the next few words were, sit down, go on Amazon, and then doesn't matter what you said after that, you had me. It's like, you know, you might as well Jerry Maguire'd me right there. You had me at sit down, go on Amazon, because that was something you've always wanted to do, and it just that just freaking rocked my world. I love that. <laughs> I've always wanted to. I've wanted to know what is this Amazon thing? What is going on? Right. And I found out that you, there's so many possibilities of things that you can buy and have delivered to your house in under 48 hours. And one of those things is a robot vacuum. Well, robot I actually, vacuum. I want to know about this because I am I am a I am a cleaner. I am an OCD cleaner. I I uh, you know the one thing that. Uh, having a wife and four kids at home has done to me is it it's actually lowered my standards greatly, you know, because you just can't control and keep your environment as clean as you'd like to most of the time. And so you learn, I, I think it's actually been therapeutic and healthy to learn to, you kind of care about some of the bigger picture cleanliness things and you, you learn to pick your battles. But, but I have always dreamt and obsessed about having having tools and resources available to me that are that are about as that are even 25% as OCD as I am and what that could do for my life. So tell me about this robot vacuum. I would like to know. Yeah, I agree. Heather and I are both a little OCD, but sometimes we don't have time to tackle underneath the TV or in the bathroom. We really like to keep the foyer like when you walk into the apartment, the first thing you see is this big countertop and we're big sticklers about nothing being there and it's being really clean kitchen cuz we do a lot of cooking and stuff at home. Right. But, you know, we were cleaning this weekend. This is why I brought it up and we cleaned like we scrub this place good. And I was like, I was on Engadget or something. I saw this thing for this Eufy RoboVac 11. I'll put it in the show notes because I never want to buy, buy a robot vacuum because I have a Dyson like a vacuum, which is really expensive, but I got a refurb off a of Woot. And I was like, I'm going to buy this robot vacuum, but they're all really expensive. And they're like hundreds upon hundreds of dollars. And I was like, I can't justify. I used to live in 400 square feet. I'm like, I can tackle 400 square feet. Right. But now we're <laughs> in a bigger place. We have we have bathrooms and kitchens and bedrooms and workspaces and all this other stuff and multi-level. So like, you know what? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to research. And this article on Wirecutter came up and they recommended this Eufy RoboVac. They're like, this is the best that your money can buy at a discount. It's only $200. Wow. 200 Okay. And Sold. It lasts for like two hours. It has like high-end suction. Um, it does hardwood floors, carpet. I don't know if it'll do my shag rug. We're going to experiment. 
But uh, it just does it. It just goes and three times a week. It'll just like, I'm gonna go clean some stuff. And apparently it's super silent. And <laughs> I, I think the time has come. The revolution of RoboVax have, uh, that is, have that occurred. That is mind blowing. It makes me so happy. And it, with a one year old at home, I can tell you the stress level of keeping things off the floor that are that are both edible and non-edible. I mean, it's a thing you deal with. It, the stress of, of just how much effort it takes to keep your home safe, let alone the fact that you know, do I enjoy stepping on sticky licorice that my four-year-old left on the ground? Now five, Hazel, the answer is no, in case you're wondering, right? I Classic mean, do Hazel. I, if there's, if there's one thing that, that puts me over the edge, you know, uh, more than anything else, it's stickiness somewhere on my skin when I do not know how it got there. Um, so no, there are a lot of reasons why, why I could go for this sort of thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to put safety first. I'm going to pretend that safety is first, but like the world's most interesting man, safety is truly third in my book. OCD is first and, uh, and non-sticky is number two. So, no. so I love it. And I'm sorry about your stress getting ready for the big, for the big presentations, but you know what? The robot vacuum might, uh, might be something that just makes it all that much better. Suck, in, suck away all my stress and worries. You know, we'll find I, out. I'll, re- I'll report back. I'll report I, back. I didn't have as stressful as a week in terms of workflow in that way. I mean, it kind of ended on um, on a high and low note last week when we had our big speech chess championship, mm-hmm. you know, round one. It's kicked off. It's going to be the Super Bowl of online chess this year. And, um, and then, you know, I kind of expressed about just some of the stress that led into the workflow communications. But work has been good. But what I have been dealing with at home was I, I survived a, a quick 24-hour flu bug. And I don't – I just – I don't like sharing bodily functions with people because to me it's always TMI. And it's like just keep it to yourself, bro. But let's just say that I did not feel good. And it was violent. And oh, no. I, I did oh, not no. have control over over – important things to have control over and i i get sick from time to time but i rarely ever ever um puke but i did i lost it and i i was so upset to be so sick dude it was and and, and there's only the reason i bring it up is because we're on the topic always on of danny's crazy home life with kids and and i wanted to share that i you know there's something it Nothing, nothing is good when you don't feel good, right? I mean, it makes you appreciate the phrase when people say, well, at least you have your health, right? I mean, as we get older, we realize that's a real thing, right? We stress about so many things in our daily life from work to, to relationships to this and that. But the truth is, if you don't feel good and you're struggling with a flu bug or a cold that's just destroying your face with a sore throat or something, I mean, in those moments, you really appreciate what it is to feel good on a daily basis, right? I mean, life just sucks when you don't feel good. But if there's one thing, dude, that's worse than not feeling good, it's having survived a flu bug and realized that nobody else in your house has gotten it yet. Whoa, and and then your and then your baby starts to show signs of it. So literally last wow. night we were up all night with Hazel and Talia with this with this bug. And it was so it, it's and it is honestly, I mean, if I'm totally honest, as much as it sounds like sacrilegious and you know, parents out there are gonna judge me, hashtag don't judge me. But the truth is it's not as bad as feeling bad yourself, <laughs> but it's yeah. it's it's about as bad. I mean, because when you're up all night and you're having to take care of somebody who you know, you would you would die for and you do anything for and you just watch them struggle with the same thing you just struggled with. It's about as bad as feeling sick yourself. So so that's what I've been dealing with in the last 48 hours. I just I just really got through it. Yeah, I mean, they're just a tiny human being, too. I think that's the thing is, you know, even Heather and I in the same exact place here, if she gets sick or I get sick, which is a rare occasion, but like we need to like avoid each other because other person that got so they got stuff to do. They got words. But you have 
five other human beings. Oh, and, I know. Don't remind and, me. And a tiny yep. one, right? <laughs> tiny one. That you know, that's the problem is for me and Heather. Like, we'll get through it, but poor little Hazel, poor little any of them, right? They, they, yeah. it takes a toll on their body, and they, and you know what you experience, but they're experiencing on a whole other level, which is kind of crazy. It's, it's terrible, man. But you gotta let them do it. You gotta build the immune systems and do it. But it's we do. But anyway, so just wanted to, so that was my personal, what was new this week that wasn't so fun. Um, I did see Guardians of the Galaxy 2, hashtag How was it? movie review. It was, it was. No it spoilers, was, hashtag no spoilers. It was, oh, it was good. It was, mm. it was, it was hilarious. So in terms of the humor, you would worry like, oh, how well are they going to do? Because the first one was such a novelty and it was so just awesome. The, the take on on just the, the humor and, and, and the way that they did this sort of space superhero movie that had never been done before. And I think that the first one was just, I mean, the first one was so many people's like, oh my gosh, this is my favorite Marvel movie now. It was so great. Um, this one was hilarious and they delivered on the humor in a way that didn't really get old. The The plot line itself was like, you felt like they kind of did it as, as a filler to get to more stuff. So that part, that's all I'm going to say. It was like, in the end, was I blown away with the overall moving the plot line? The answer was no. Was it was it an enjoyable experience? Yes. So that's all we'll say. We don't want to do any spoilers beyond that. So I recommend it. I can't can't not recommend Chris Pratt. My wife is in love with him. It's like her movie, her her crush. You know, I mean, I, I love I love Chris Pratt, and the movie was good, but um, not not as not as fulfilling as the first one was. The first one was so good. It's so hard to top. That's a thing is it was the in- ever anytime you're introducing characters for the first time, it's such a good feeling. And the thing is that soundtrack of the first one, I actually had the vinyl and like I would just play that soundtrack because it was so oh, yeah. good. And I remember watching Guardians of the Galaxy. Heather knew nothing about it. And we sat down and watched it. And she's like, I absolutely loved it, which is crazy. It was yeah. so good. And yeah. I think kids will like it, but adults will like it. Like everyone will like that movie. Yep, um, I'm excited. I want to go see it. I want to go see it even if based on movie review, I didn't expect it to be. That's the thing is I already expected it not to be as good as the first one. So I think my expectations are set at a level playing field. That's good. That's good. Well, the uh, speaking of expectations, we all have pretty high expectations over over what you prepared this week. And I, I actually am totally in the dark this week on uh, what you're going to tell us in terms of why technology is ruining our lives. So go ahead, preach it, Motsi. It's true. You know, each and every week, these companies... They release and announce new products that are set to destroy our lives. And in this right. in this instance, destroy our home lives. And now, do you have a a dingus? That's what we call them. Do you have a speak to dingus thing, a, 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 an echo dingus or a Google I, Home dingus? I, I do not. You know, it's hilarious. I have bought dinguses. <laughs> We're using. I have bought dingus. Is that it? Is dingus plural just by itself? Dingai. Okay. I have bought dingai for family members. I bought one for my younger sister. Um, We bought one for our mother-in-law. I, I, uh, Luke, Luke got it for Kathy. Um, And, and so I have experienced both the joy and pain of a dingai that is active in your house and, and kind of how great it can be. And then sometimes, you know, you have the painful moments where it's like, why can't you understand me? Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I do not own a dingus, and so I, I want to know why I should get one. Well, so uh, you shouldn't. And that's the thing is, I have okay, a Google. Good. We have we have a Google <laughs> dingus, okay. and uh, I'm sure Google will probably say something in the background of this. And that's the thing is, you we can say echo, but you can't say the other word because then the, right. the the thing will speak to you. Right, and right, we, exactly. We, yeah. So what's interesting is these things, the speaking at stuff. We, we've kind of made a smart home and, and Frank and I on Merge Conflict, we did a whole episode on this and how I've kind of tried to IOTify my life. So I can say 
uh, you know, okay, Dingus, turn off my lights or turn my list to that or turn on the camera, do whatever. I never do it. It's like so annoying and Dingus doesn't know. And actually my parents have a Dingus. They have a um, an Echo, a little dot. And my dad loves the thing. He loves right. yelling at the Dingus <laughs> and telling the Dingus what is on his mind. And now, thanks to Amazon, he will be able to um, yell at the dingus with a video display because they announced the brand new Echo Show. Did you see this at all? I, I did not. So what's what's the difference? It's just a visual dingus. That's it. The, it, it is a vi- it is uh, it's got two speakers in the dingus and the. I Echo. feel like this episode might be rated PG thirteen just for how many times we've said dingus. Dingus. So <laughs> the, hello, dingus. We can uh, we can. Uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. So it's it's going to be about two hundred and thirty or. 360 if you buy it in a multi-pack and it's a bigger echo okay so it's bigger it's kind of slanted it kind of looks like a tablet that has speakers on the bottom it reminds me of an old thing but essentially it has a front-facing camera you can speak to it It has youtube and they have a uh, intercom system built in this might be good for you know i think that's the thing is they had a five minute video introducing it and the different uses that you could use it for like i need to monitor my baby i need to turn off the lights i need to do xyz and i'm like if you need a five minute video to explain your product something has gone terribly wrong not to mention that these dinguses are listening to us all the time and in fact i hate it i this google thing and and they're always listening and maybe they're not recording but they i feel like they're doing something and i watch snowden and I have a privacy filter over every single camera in my house, and I'm freaked out all the time. But this is completely, I don't know. I feel like it, there's some good use cases for it. I asked my buddy that works at, at Twitch and used to work at Amazon. I was like, what do you think about this? Because I'm like, you're close to the source, right? You probably knew this right. was coming. And he goes, you know what? I just I bought um, this other you know, um, 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 video conferencing system or whatever. And he's like, I'm kind of mad because this will replace it. And I think... That's the one use case where maybe if I actually had this and my parents had it, maybe I'd talk to my parents more because I could just say, call dad. But I guess I could just call him on the phone or use FaceTime or use literally any. These things exist. God forbid you use any one of the, you know, it's like when we're texting each other, if only there was some device where we could talk to somebody in real time and avoid all these finger typing things. You know, I know. Yeah, heaven forbid that that right. was to happen. <laughs> so I think it's, you know, I think it's an, it's interesting. It's an introduction. Now I'm sure Google and Microsoft, will, they'll all follow suit and we're all going to have these micro things and it'll become a fad and it'll kind of evolve. But yeah, you would think that, Ooh, there, okay. This is a literally a monitor with a, com- with a mini computer built in with speakers. You know what I have in front of me right now? I have a monitor <laughs> with a, you know what I mean? Like I have with, this already. With a webcam and speakers and uh, all mm-hmm. the sound. Well, I, I actually find this, this uh, and I haven't checked it out. I can't wait uh, to check out the link you put here in the show notes uh, at The Verge and, and see a little bit of the review on this thing. But I not because I will get one. I will not be owning a dingus. See, I have also another issue with four kids is is kids take advantage of dinguses. They play with your dinguses. They, they abuse your dinguses. They... Uh, my my kids walk into Grandma Kathy's house and they start yelling at at Alexa. I mean, they just like they go nuts with her. It's like you know she's not your slave. And then I'm like, well, actually, she kind of is, and it gets weird. So moral lessons when you have a dingus in the house are difficult with children. That's uh, I digress. So let me get back to what I actually found interesting. Which two things? One. Um, I, I find it interesting what the, what your buddy at Twitch said. Amazon owns Twitch now, right? And we actually deal pretty closely with Twitch with some mm-hmm. some of the chess stuff we do. So um, that's kind of interesting to know that. I mean, they may be they may be becoming a little bit of a trendsetter here. I have I have traditionally viewed Amazon as 
one step behind the you know the the eight ball of of Google and Apple, right? Because yeah. you know they're they're trying to catch up. Whether it's the Amazon, um, okay, the Kindle had specific purposes and was kind of around first, but it became replaced by you know these power tablets and 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 the visual display was what people wanted. And oh, you could read books. And then you have the Amazon, you know, the Kindle Fire, which have never been mm-hmm. able quite to live up. And I know this also just from a tech stack perspective that we're you know we don't we don't put nearly as many resources into developing you know what, what what would be compatible for amazon software as we do of course for android and for ios so i i've you know in my mind whether i'm totally right or not i've viewed amazon as a bit of a follower and where they survive is is where they own the marketplace right amazon owns the demographic of online shoppers in ways that nobody else ever has because of the convenience in which they deliver their products and they've proven that prime is such a powerful tool right um yeah i, actually, I was yeah. just reading i would love to share it in the show notes but i was just reading an interesting thing about an article from a guy who was specializing in teaching people how to measure, you know, um, measure actionable statistics and not vanity statistics about your company and how Amazon has done such a good job with that because when it could have been vain about all these wonderful things it had and all these online users it had, it really measured properly the only thing that was going to separate them and make them the biggest thing ever, which was not the vanity statistic, which was every little micro statistic that goes into measuring how quickly are we delivering products to people when they need them and that and it really separated them and so one i just wanted to say how interesting i find this because if what you said is true if you think google and ios and these other at-home devices copy amazon to me that would be a bit of a change uh in the positive for the for their direction um yeah and the second i think they've done it yeah i think that they've done it i think that they've done it you know because google google followed with google home i mean i think siri was a trendsetter but no one wants to speak to their phone i mean people do but i don't think they do And I think that I think the echo, honestly, is everyone's chasing it. I think that Microsoft hasn't, you know, I don't know what they're going to do next or if they're going to introduce something. I think that the the thing is with Amazon, they have this huge platform called Amazon.com. If you go to Amazon.com right now, it is a huge banner for the echo show. They will they can literally put it in front of your face or if you go to Google.com right now, if you go to Google.com. And I'm going to type it in. What do I see? Right. (laughs) Google has the most visited website. You see. A, a thing that you can enter something and a search button right. and a little doodle. That's right. what you see, right? You barely see anything else. But Amazon, you go to Amazon. You're, I'm either going to Google or Amazon right. buying Robovax and researching Robovax and buying Robovax, right? But if right. Google, if Amazon puts a Robovac in front of my face, I'm probably going to click on it because it's like recommended and I'm like, all right, let's do this, right? right. So it's kind of interesting the pool that they have to almost make their own products su- successful in and, a way. No, the, and that's what I was saying, right? I mean, that's what they owned was the demographic and maybe in the end that'll actually prove, I mean, so Google owns the search demographic and of course that we could, I'm sure they would all argue where they can leverage their users in, in, in ways that the other, uh, you know, these other major billion dollar unicorn companies online can't but but i agree with you i think that that's a super interesting point and so if they are really becoming innovators in the hardware technology area where i feel like ios let's say apple not even just not the ios software but apple has apple's really a luxury company right they're not a technology company and that's what people confuse and then google has owned you know so many of these experiences but first so i I just can't wait to see what happens without even having checked out anything else but the second thing i want to say was interesting was the way you described it it almost sounds like a tv from the 80s i mean it sounds like a little mini like it does 
like not very yeah, attractive no. screen with a speaker. It's like, are we going backwards in time with like a small technological box on your desk? <laughs> I don't know. I can't yeah. wait to check this thing out. But like, so they're they're innovating hardware with something that is kind of old, but it does. I mean, so from what I'm understanding, it doesn't look that sexy, right? It's not. I mean, no. what has been what has been defined as sexy in hardware, right? It's been small, skinny, Apple, sleek. <laughs> Right. It's yeah. been small, skinny, sleek, compatible power, you know, but really and the echo, the echo was also very small and convenient. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was kind so of like industrial. It was kind yeah. of industrial. And I think this follows suits where I bought a Google home because I'm a Google person, but also because I really like the design. It, it is sleeker. It's sexier. It's it's better looking than the uh, the echo device. But yeah, you are right. I didn't even think about that because when I was in Cuba <laughs> recently, obviously, I would go in and the Airbnb host would be like, we have a TV and we have this stuff. And all of their TVs there are literally seven inch to 10 inch televisions. Right. Or like, you know, when you go on an airplane and you have a television, like it's that size. Like I'm right. going to be having a voice chat or watching a YouTube video. I have a 55 inch television. All right. That I, you know, <laughs> Which by I, the way, is capable of all of these things, right? You can get the apps on Apple TV and, and there you go. Yeah. Anyways, we'll see how it turns out. I think that speaking to things, I'm still not convinced. I feel still think it's a invasive. There, it's it's in it, technology is already invasive enough, and maybe it's the old timer in me about to turn 31. And um, I don't know. Just too many things listening and watching. Um, you know, and unless they're watching, let's me let let me watch chess. I guess if I could Twitch stream and watch chess all the time, that'd be cool. Right. And, uh, so I'm kind of I'm kind of over. I'll, I'll be interested to see how it rolls out. If you get a dingus, I'll be interested to see. But I think you have too many kids for a dingus. Yeah, I think it'll go crazy. Dinguses, like you said. Uh, yeah, dinguses get they get abused with kids. So there you go. Yeah, it's, it's no good. Well, that's my tech. That's my technology overview. If people think you're wrong, write into the show. Go to blunders.fm or tweet at me. It's totally fine. I'd be interested to see what people are thinking or if they use an Echo or a Google Home. Like I want to know this stuff. And uh, what I really want to know, Danny, is is that, you know, people seem to think that chess doesn't matter. But, you know, I keep reading <laughs> Here articles Here we go. and watching videos. And I, you know, I've been so stressed this week and I cannot wait for you to tell me why the heck chess matters. You know what? Can you do that so there's, there's two two things that are going on this this week that, you know, um, you know, once again, first of all, I'm always on the edge of my seat in terms of how both adorable and interesting you will you will make this intro into why chess doesn't matter and you never i mean that's what makes this great this relationship is working because you keep me on the edge even when things are familiar you know and people always want that excitement even when things are comfortable so thank you monsi um <laughs> but moving into the the the, to the topic of why chess does or doesn't matter, what I can say is one interesting piece came out on Forbes. So it's always fun when we get a little bit of uh, love on, uh, I guess you would say, more mainstream media. Although, you know, we get a lot more traffic, I guess, and, and reads often on chess.com. It's funny how sometimes just the brand name of something like Forbes or, you know, the New York Times or Huffington Post carries a lot of weight because it's general media, right? Whereas chess.com mm -hmm. specifically – you know, we focus on delivering one one thing, which is what's going on in the chess world. Uh, but anyway, we we had a piece on Forbes. Um, a piece was written that was really about why chess players can make more money in chess than they ever were able to before, and it's because of technology. Really, it's because of not just the opportunities they have to. Um, 
to play in big events, things, and he specifically mentioned the Chess.com Pro Chess League and the Speed Chess Championship, which was just awesome. And I kind of knew this piece was coming because um, he's a guy who's got a pretty decent amount of followers on Twitter and was really into the Pro Chess League and was kind of hitting me up with questions throughout the year and and, and was kind of preparing some stuff. But but then he then he also focused on the bigger angle too of it also has just. You know, we know technology has shrunk the world, and so it's because of technology, really, that people like Magnus Carlsen even exist. I mean, for years, I mean, not just for years, for for the historical uh, version of, of of chess. If you don't have something strong in your local culture, you know, uh, Bobby Fischer was successful because he was a block away from the Marshall and Manhattan Chess Club, right? And so many of the world chess champions in history were Russian because the Soviet Union uh, featured chess as a state-sponsored endeavor. It was a state-sponsored sport. And so um, if it wasn't a part of your culture, your chances of becoming a great champion at some sort of niche sport would be slim to none. But with technology, you have grandmasters like Alejandro Ramirez from Costa Rica, who, you know, there was not a single person in the entire country of Costa Rica probably played chess, right? But he's playing on 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 online chess websites. And then you have Magnus Carlsen, where, you know, per capita in Norway, they now have the most grandmasters per capita. Well, that's partly because Norway doesn't have a a lot of people living in it if you check the stats and so like you know now they have this huge chess culture boom because of technology and because of magnus carlson so with technology you know shrinking the world giving more opportunities for people to make money in cool online events like the ones we do on chess.com but really also creating opportunities for people and professionals who wouldn't normally have them like like the amount of people doing online lessons on chess.com right now, I'm, I'm sure as I'm literally saying these words, there are dozens of chess lessons going on by somebody teaching some kid, you know, using, using, you know, the, the tools we have an analysis board that, you know, he lives 600 to 6,000 miles away. And so there's so many more opportunities now, which is just, honestly, it's just really cool that, you know, we know technology, what it does for web conferencing and stuff like that. But that's like a super tangible way that technology has made people's lives better. I mean, they're charging lessons. It's like someone doing music lessons or, you know, what other kind of lessons can you do online these days? I'm sure you can do, you know, my, my kids took speech yeah. therapy lessons, right? Like we hired this firm. One of my kids had like an AWA, right? He was struggling with it with his AWAs, saying AWAs, right? Whoa, no, like that. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, so he did some speech therapy and it, and it made a huge difference for him. And they're, and they're just as great and engaging online as long as I keep, uh, you know, formerly Wono, now Warner focused. Um, <laughs> well, I look at it like this too, is I think you, you hit the nail on the head because when you think of technology advancing, right, not only is technology making it so ch something like chess.com exists, but the mobile space, people can play chess anywhere without anything else besides their cell phone. You know, people forever were making chess boards and hand carving chess boards and making really things like that. But there's two distinct things that I think are making chess extremely popular, which is why, you know, I sit in front of YouTube and I watch you diagnose and break down these chess things. And, and, and it's not just because you, you're not going to put chess on TV. You probably in the past weren't going to put chess on TV, just like you weren't going to put poker on TV. But guess right. what happened? Like that broke in. But with chess, I think it's a little bit different because it's very specialized in the fact that like I know almost all of like a lot of our developers like are addicted to chess. And when when Carlson was was uh, was playing, like we were all addicted to it. And if you think of things like Twitch and YouTube and the live streaming, which is used for all sorts of things, but the ability to say, hey, just watch this video, watch this breakdown, or watch this live. Where I would never be able to see Carl Magnuson 
like ever play, right? Like unless I'm going right. to go somewhere or they're going to actually televise it on TV because I have ESPN, the Ocho, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'm not going to see it, but I can right. because technology is that. But also at the same time, what I think is unique is that now you have developers, bloggers, you have international masters, grandmasters. You have these people that are not only have their own profession of chess, but teaching people chess, blogging about chess, you know, doing these breakdowns about chess and like doing crazy stuff. Like I think that like 10 years ago, the things that are you are doing on Twitch, on YouTube, and, and just on chess, chess.com could never have been done before, right? right? Or it wouldn't have been at this level where you can immediately, something can happen and, and you can turn it around in near real time is, is our short attention span. We need this, these these minutes, right? Literally, I was talking to the dingus on Sunday right. and I said, hey, you know, hey, dingus, play some NPR news. And NPR says news, it went technology news from yesterday at 6 p.m. Guess what? That news is out of dates because it's 24 hours old. So you're able to churn this stuff so fast. So I think it's so interesting, the careers that evolve. And right. I want to say that it's 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 similar to video games or watching video games and being a pro gamer was always a thing, but not at this scale. I mean, right. it's at the esports crazy. And I think chess is cool, but the, the you know, and, and chess has the other huge advantage of the learning of the skills of the, the math of the the challenge of the social interactions like all that behind it too i think is really engaging so i'm super yeah. excited and i read this article i am putting in the show notes it's really cool because they talk about all sorts of different players yeah yeah no and he did he had they had a uh, an original video which was really cool and uh one of the things you said in the middle of that inc- was awesome was Carl Magnuson, by the way. And I loved that. You said Carl Magnuson, and I just have to highlight that for you because that was hilarious. And, uh, and uh, you know what? I think he should Magnus change his Carlson. name. To, no, Magnus Carl Carlson. Magnuson. Spell it. C-A-R-L Magnuson. How awesome would that be? Anyway, um, the other, the, no, I, I agree, obviously, on every level. And I think it's, it, it's very cool. And, and it's, um, you know, it's it's a game changer, and um, unfortunately, with humanity expanding and uh, you know population growing and technology doing things that it used to take a hundred people to do, that's a whole nother discussion, right? Whether it's doing better things for humanity, I mean, we just need to get to Mars and everything will be fine. But okay, I digress again. The other thing that's happening this week, Mots, is uh, super nationals. Now, this happens mm, once that? every three years. Ooh, it's like a it's like a solar eclipse. Exactly, it's like it <laughs> a solar eclipse of chess. You know, every every three years, a a werewolf gets its fangs, an angel gets its wings, and uh, about six thousand kids come together to to drive people crazy in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, and that's exactly what what uh, happens in uh, th- this coming week. It's always Mother's Day weekend, and mm-hmm. uh, Super Nationals is where. So normally what they do is they separate. You have like the primary nationals, which is like the kindergarten kids up to third grade. You've got the elementary nationals. You've got the middle school nationals, the junior high nationals, basically. And then you've got the high school nationals. And each one of those maybe averages about 1,000 to 1,200 kids. And every few years, they bring them all together for one insane event. And that happens in Nashville always because the Opryland Hotel is is one of the biggest on the planet. And my team is there. We have a booth. We make a whole festival out of it. And, and you get all these people there. But there is there's going to be national media for sure covering the Super Nationals this, uh, in the next week. It's coming this weekend. And um, I'm actually, I've actually gotten out of that this year. This is my first year not going to Super Nationals. It's kind of my swan song or, or I guess the last one was because I, I have um, – I, I don't want to use this term because it, it just never sounds like – it just makes you sound like kind of a 
kind of uh, I don't even I, I can't use the word because we like to keep the show PG, but I kind of <laughs> I kind of get to pull rank a little bit and be like, hey, I've done this rodeo <laughs> for many years in a row, <laughs> yeah. and I really don't want to go. <laughs> and uh, um, there's some other personal reasons too, but I so I will not actually be there in Nashville with the team, but um, we are going to have an awesome presence, and, and it is it's just insane when you get so many chess playing peeps together in one in one place. So um, anyway, that's the other thing that's going on in, in, in the chess world this week that makes it matter. So I wanted to share that before we moved on. I do. I, I like that. It's called super nationals. It's not just nationals, super nationals. Mm-hmm. Super. Now I wanted to, you know, we started this podcast because of our lives, of our intermix of my interest in chess, your interest in technology, our love and passion for coffee, which we talk about often. And uh, you know, I just thought about this as we were going through and before the podcast, we were talking and I asked you some questions and I go, you know what? I'm not going to ask you any more questions. I want to ask them on the podcast because realizing that I have a international chat chess master in front of me that I talk to, that's one of my best friends in the world. I thought that it'd be kind of cool to kind of do this chess talk where I just ask you questions. Mots, Mots asks, because I, I'm so interested in chess and learning all this stuff. I kind of don't even know the basics. And I feel as though some of our listeners may not either. They, they may, they may not. But I think that this would be a really cool thing to do. Maybe one or two questions a week, you know, following up why we obviously know chess matters a whole lot in the world of what it's doing good. So I just want to ask you a question, which is first is that I know that there's grandmasters and international masters. Now, I don't really know how many there are in the world. There's a lot of rankings. Can you kind of break down what does it take to become a grandmaster and how many are there? And like, who should I know about? Like, who should I be following besides Carl Magnuson? <laughs> <laughs> well, Carl <laughs> Magnuson is, is, should be on the top of your list. Um, yeah. And uh, just, you know, don't waste time with this guy, Magnus Carlson, but Carl Magnuson, that dude's a stud. So, um, no, so there, there are the, the official, so there are, What's interesting about chess is there are titles you can reach and you can earn that you can never lose, the life titles. And there are only two of them, and that is Grandmaster and International Master. So yours truly is an International Master, but the the highest title you can achieve in chess that is possible is a Grandmaster title. Uh, The Grandmaster title is, is given to you when you do two things. One, you reach a minimum required rating. Uh, a rating is, you know, so you, you gain points very similar to tennis uh, based on the strength of your opponent coming in. So you have a rating, they have a rating, uh, mm-hmm. which sets an algorithm in place where if you win, you gain X points, you gain, let's say, 12 points. If you lose, you gain, you lose eight points or whatever. So there's there's an algorithm set, um, the, the ELO system, ELO system, which um, if anybody Googles it, they'll check it out on Wikipedia. Uh, maybe I'll just share a link in the show notes to a, to the wiki page explaining the ELO system. But that's complicated math. It doesn't matter, but it's pretty simple to understand that when you come into a match, you and your opponent both have a rating. You gain and lose points based on the result of that game because Got of it. the previous ratings. Um, and and so you have to reach a minimum rating of 2,500, 2,500. Uh, so to put that in context, you have to be 2,500 minimum to be a grandmaster. The best grandmasters in the world, Magnus Carlsen's rating is about 2,800 and like 30, 30 to 50, right? So he's about 350 points better than even like the average grandmaster, right? Oh, okay. Um, And at that level, it's it's very hard to even gain or lose rating points. So it's, um, in fact, 
so many of the best players in the world have established themselves above 2,700 so consistently, 2,700, that there's often an unofficial title used in chess, which they call it Super GM. So there's oh. grandmasters, and then people that are operating like above the 2,700 level, we often call them Super GMs because those are like the top 100 in the world dudes who are just like, they're Crying better out. than... They're better than even ninety percent of the professionals. And is that so, because is that because if Magnus so if Magnus is playing someone else who's also at his level, they're not really going to exchange points up and down. It's like fractions of a point, so they exactly. always kind of stay in there. So he yeah, would have exactly. to. So so how do how, where and how do I earn those points? Can I earn those points on Chess.com? Well, you can earn points on Chess.com because we have our own rating system, but it applies oh. only to Chess.com. Um, you, you gain those points in tournaments, um, tournaments that Got are it. recognized by either the USCF, which is the United States Chess Federation, or by FIDE, which is French for Fidelis Internation des Eches, which is basically just the International Chess Federation. Um, so the the... FIDE, the International Chess Federation, is the is the governing body, the global chess body that kind of controls the rating system, and um, and so because you know that as you just you kind of touched on because you're a smart guy, it's very hard to gain rating points at that level. So for someone to to establish themselves at like twenty eight fifty means like they're winning a ton of chess games and like almost never losing and even drawing lower rated opponents because if they did, they would lose so much more than they could ever gain. You know, Magnus yeah. could win 10 games in a row and lose one and lo and come out on the sub end of that, of that little 11 game stint. Right. Oh, wow. So, so that just shows how good those guys are. So then to move on. So then the second lifetime title you can achieve is international master, which is, which is you have to be minimum of 2,400. Uh, so only a hundred points less than grandmaster and, but but what separates those two titles, IM and GM, is in order to get those titles, we not only had to reach a rating, but we also had to have a performance um, in, in certain recognized international events. And it, it's kind of tricky, but let's just say that they do it to prevent... Uh, like rating inflation and rating scaling. If someone, if someone who was like only beating a bunch of lower-rated players managed to eke his rating up slowly, but but really wasn't good enough to compete professionally, um, that's not really fair. So you have to do, you have to gain the rating points, but you also have to achieve a a norm, a performance norm is, is what they call it, and and that means you have to be in an international tournament against other grandmasters and international masters where you where you score a a massive plus score so like to get an i am norm i had to score in, in a few of them i had to score six out of nine a minimum six out of nine in tournaments where the average rating was like almost 2600 right mm, okay. and so it's it's higher it's higher the, the performance norm is always higher the requirement is higher than the actual rating you have to achieve 2400 but they do that to sort of give the title to both consistency and sort of like talent or skill in, in, a, in an individual tournament and there are other titles below GM and IM, like um, there are nationally recognized titles, which is the, just the title of master is a, is an, is based on only rating. Um, there's FIDE master, which is which is the same thing as master, but again, it's based only on rating. Those titles can be lost if you cross a certain mm -hmm. rating threshold, you get the title, but then if you go back below the rating threshold, you lose the title. Got so I am and GM are really the only two lifetime titles where you like, okay, if someone says they're an international master or a grandmaster, they're like, put it like 
like they made the NBA. Now, maybe IMs were only at like, you know, a bench warmer and like, you know, played for five years. And some IMs maybe had better careers and they were like Robert Ory, who never should have gotten a ring, but somehow got six. You get what I'm saying, right? So I get, I mean, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And then there's grandmasters who were like really, really great, right? So yeah. uh, that's what I would say. Like IMs and GMs, when they achieve that title, you know that at one point they were a professional chess player. Got that's it. The and that's why I've so. It. So that's really that's a great breakdown because I think that really helps me understand a little bit better of these rankings because when I kind of look at at your Wikipedia page, well I looked first at your chess.com. I'm going to I'm going to put this in the show notes so people can follow along at home. Uh you have a fee day of 2416, which means you're 16 points ahead of what it takes to be an international master. Now if you right. drop below 2400, you're still an international master. You exactly. will be forever now you probably won't because you're danny wrench and you're amazing but what i actually just realized because i'm i like to reread your wikipedia page um all the time <laughs> is because i miss these facts is that I, I i guess i didn't realize like so under that would be national master which seems to be 2200 so i'm assuming that these have to be pretty hard and you are the youngest national master at 14 years old is that still yeah. a fact to this in, day? In, in Arizona, not not in not Arizona. globally. In Arizona, oh, okay, got it. In Arizona, right. yeah, no, 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 no. Oh. Globally, globally, I believe the record was actually just broken by like a nine-year-old who wow. became the youngest ever twenty-two hundred player, and the youngest ever grandmaster is actually a thirteen-year-old in like seven months who is Wei Yi Whoa. from China. So I was a master where there was a youngest ever grandmaster, but that was actually very recent. Um, uh, so that, no, no, I was, I was the youngest ever master in Arizona and in Arizona. I hope my Wikipedia page doesn't say globally. It should just it say, say, Arizona. it doesn't say he holds the Arizona state record. So okay, it doesn't yes, say yes, okay, And then <laughs> when did you become, when did you become international master? At 19. So five 19. years later, um, okay. I, um, I was good then. I'm about the same then as I was, uh, you know, what I, I feel like a Toby Keith song, you know, I ain't as good as I <laughs> once was, you know, um, Got it. But that's you know it's I also haven't been a professional player I've been sort of a professional chess what 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 exactly am I I'm I'm what a chess professional I'm I'm an ambassador for the game I'm I'm a broadcaster I don't know I mean I you know I'm probably doing more now than I ever could if I was just committed to my own self-consumed lifestyle that I really really wanted to be leading traveling the world in Europe and just playing tournaments but yeah, things yeah. didn't work out for me you know for a number of reasons in that level but you know I I look at it now as like wow like we're pretty lucky to be able to have the stage and the platform we do to to grow chess in a way that you know a lot of professional players unfortunately are not there, you know, if you're not in the top 50 in the world, you're probably not making a six-figure living just on playing for sure. For sure, for sure, actually. Not even probably. The top yeah. 10 in the world are in, like, a very elite group where they're making, like, really good money. Like, yeah. now, okay, now I say really good money. The average. I'm not, yeah. Exactly. They're not making, you know, tennis player or NBA player kind of money, but they're making <laughs> – you know, they're making millions of dollars, some of them, at least like really high six figures, like, and they're just playing, playing chess, you know, they're getting paid to show up, paid to lose. And then if they win, they get even more money. You know, yeah. then you have this, you have this group that is like, you know, I know I'm kind of going beyond, but I think people are curious. So like, that's why we talked about this money thing, because really, if, if you're not in the top 50 in the world, you're not making six figures just as a player. If you're not in the top 10, you're not becoming a millionaire. And then like 50 to like, 500, right? You've got, you know, a bunch of grandmasters, maybe some really high rated IMs who just haven't gotten their norms yet, but are high rated enough. But you've got this like group of elite professionals that, 
you know, are like they're making between like sixty thousand or you know to a hundred thousand a year, like if they do well, basically, and it's a hundred percent like a poker lifestyle. So that's not a bad thing, right? If you're if it's fun and you're playing chess, but it's also not the kind of thing where you have like stability or you're raising a family, right? And so, yeah, yeah. and then you have beyond that, where like most of the guys probably because that's true, most of the guys in the top. You know, once you get to the, you know, outside the top 200, a lot of those guys are semi-professional players, but also semi-professional coaches where they're, where they're making most of their money is by teaching, whether it's online on sites like our site or, or privately locally. I mean, where they're making money is, you know, the skill set and of a, of a really high quality chess grandmaster if they have decent communication skills. So there you can be charging, you know, hundreds of dollars an hour to do some chess lessons, right? And so that's where they're really going to yeah. make their money. But unfortunately, to be totally honest, you know, because the old phrase, those who can't do teach, really a lot of the guys who kind of give up on playing and go to teaching aren't necessarily natural communicators where where probably I was always a better teacher and communicator and broadcaster than I was a player. I just didn't know it yet. Right. Yeah, and so I, I think that, the doors open until the doors right, open. And, and, and I say that not as a. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I'm very fortunate and I'm happy to be good at what I'm at, but I don't say that as like bragging or a slam on others. I'm just saying it's true that it's it's sort of sad that I think most of them, in order to make a living, are sort of falling back on a situation that isn't their first love, where I'm yeah. kind of lucky to have realized this is really my first love. And I think – so that's what we're trying to change. I mean, we're trying to grow the global yeah. chess culture and make make strong players and all the all the things of a chess professional more in demand, which is just – you know. so anyway, that's a kind of a, yeah. a little bit of a tangent, but that that's really what, what I think about it a lot because I'm interested in growing the global the global social status of my fellow chess playing man you know and woman yeah and and it's interesting too because in reading this article on chess.com that takes the forbes article further you know like gm uh ben feingold is that correct mm-hmm. feingold mm-hmm. um you know he was talking about you know essentially he was worried about making rent because he had to put do all these tournaments and try to win money but nowadays he has his own youtube channel and he's just like you know getting private lessons and doing all this stuff and then even going further into gm maurice ashley essentially he was quoted in the article about all of his different chess related jobs so organizing commenting writing chess apps coaching teams you know all that stuff that is so crucial because you're at that level you're kind of training the next generation right um, but also just people that are interested you know there's a reason that i i live right across the street from some music um um um, and and there's a piano and band lessons that are across the street. I see kids in there. I see people my age in there. I see people older than me in there because we're all interested in learning new skills and taking right. it further. Uh, and anything. That's why I speak a hundred times about building mobile application developments, right? So developers that have never built mobile apps are super interested in, and I have that same, that passion for it. So when you get those people that are in those top 500 that are super passionate about it, taking those out into the next level and, and teaching the world, then you're kind of like this nice cylindrical cycle that keeps going. Right. We've gone way over time. We've gone we way over time, but this has been amazing. It's so but- good. This has been a lot of fun. So let's just quickly, let's bring it to the last thing we like to end with. And I know you've got this big conference, but anything else you're doing? Are you home for a while? Where's up Mott's off to next? Well, you know, upcoming, like I said, Austin, uh, after that, then Orlando, nothing really else planned right now. Um, I will say right now I'm home alone. I'm home alone for a few days. Where's Heather? Heather is off in an uh, undisclosed location. She is at a conference, not here in Seattle, and I don't like to give out locations of of uh, my significant other and partner that's in good, life. That's um, a good idea. But she'll be home in a few days, so I'm ex- excited about it. But yeah, she's off a- adventuring, um, and that's what we do. Uh, and we have a super amazing relationship that 
I can travel, she can travel, we can travel, or we can be at home and we can enjoy those moments and that time together. So she's off at adventuring. I'm super excited what, about What does Heather do, by the way? I've never asked you that. Yeah, so Heather, so just, Heather uh, is- Real quick. Yeah, so Heather is a developer okay. um, as well. And uh, she does a lot more web and API than, than I do. I do more mobile. And right. she works at a company in here in Seattle. We met at a com- at a conference in Phoenix, actually, which is funny. Uh, nice. And awesome. And I, she was working for a company down there. She went to school down there in Arizona and Phoenix. And we met at a conference. She went to my session, uh, came up afterwards. We started talking and it was great because like, I think I, we might've talked about this last week, but she wasn't asking me the questions. She asked me a little bit about Xamarin, but she was asking me those really cool questions about travel, about Seattle, about all this stuff. And uh, I, uh, after the conference got up uh, enough guts to, to ask her out. She'll do the reverse and say that she asked me out, but right. uh, you know, um, you know, we asked each other out. We had a drink and fell in love, and uh, we're here now in, in Seattle. You know what? Why it. have I never asked you that before? I feel like I've known this, but I feel like I have and I haven't. Like I'm so glad that I I have it now on record. Now that you've said it on a podcast, you can't take it back. So that's can't just take it back. That's, that's just so great. So, all right, man. Well, this is a great show. Sorry for the long chess tangents, but I think it's good. I like it. I think it's fun to kind of, you know, get it out there for the non-chess audience to understand a little bit about the culture. So. Yeah, we don't call, call it coffeehouse blunders, you know, for no reason. That's why That's we right. call it that, people. We're going to make well, some can, blunders. Exactly. Got to make those blunders. <laughs> well, you can find us in many places. Danny is at Daniel Wrench absolutely anywhere on the internet. Just Google his name. You will find out that he holds so many records and is an amazing international chess master. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to play him one day. I just, I've never played you at chess, by the way. Um, next time I see you, it's going to happen and I'm going to get destroyed. We're, we're, we're going to do it. Um, and then you can find me everywhere on the internet. Guess what? It's also my name at James Montemagno. You can find this podcast on any podcast device um, app that you happen to have or on blunders.fm each and every Thursday. And also you can leave us feedback. Just tweet at us and or go to blunders.fm and uh, leave us a little feedback right there. There's a little button. You can read it in. Um, Danny, I, can't, I can't ever follow up your outro because you're so darn professional that I just I first love listening to your voice and love listening to the outro. So I'm just going to drop my mic right there and say peace out, everybody. That's it. Peace out. I love you, Danny. Until next week. <laughs>